Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you are visiting with us for the first time, a special welcome to you. Uh, For those of you that have been exploring along with us as we've been looking at these prophetic terms, uh, we're in term set number three, and I say set, there's seven sets of two terms each that we are contrasting, and it's important that we understand that contrast Uh, Because if you just read through the scriptures, you can read through these terms and think that they are comparative, that they are basically the same thing. And if you've been with us, uh, as I said, for a while, exploring the scriptures with us, you know that uh, the Son of God is quite different uh, in manifestation from the Son of Man, that the day of Christ is quite different from the day of the Lord. And now we're looking at the contrast between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. In every case, it's about Jesus, as is the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. But understanding the difference helps you immensely to understand the flow of God's word. Uh, Again, if we take it literally, and we always emphasize that point, if we allow the Holy Spirit to show us the literal understanding of the Scripture, because there is really only one interpretation of God's Word. There are many applications, depending on who the individual is, depending on where they are in their spiritual walk. It can uh, have different impacts at different times through the leading of the Holy Spirit. You can read the same Scripture, for instance, uh, several different times, and each time you read it, the Holy Spirit may use that Scripture to impact you in a different way, depending on where you are in your walk. So that's the living word nature of God's word. So again, we're back in the um, point number three in our worksheet uh, that you can download from this station. And we are looking at the gospel of the kingdom. And we have been looking at a number of aspects We're we're basically, if you look at your worksheet about halfway through looking at these scriptures, and we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament developing where this gospel of the kingdom came from, and now we're looking at the uh, what would have been the realization of that kingdom uh, at the first coming of Christ if the Israelites had not turned their back on him. So again, we're, we're looking at the New Testament. We were in Luke, Luke where it was announced Uh, through Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. And in that passage in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 75, we've been spending some time in our last few programs looking specifically at two verses in Luke chapter 1, and that's verses 72 and 73. And it was talking about the mercy to the, uh, the forefathers of Israel, realizing now the focus is Israel. The church is not in focus here, and that is one of the key differences of understanding between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. And of course, we'll get into all those scriptures relative to the gospel of grace when we finish 
the kingdom portion. But that's one of the significant differences. So in Luke chapter 1, looking at verses 72 and 73, we've gone over the mercy that God has shown in his remembrance of all that he had promised to the forefathers of Israel that would be realized in this kingdom. We looked at Micah. We went back seven centuries before Jesus to look at one of the prophecies about that to uh, to specifically look at mercy. Then we looked uh, even more importantly, uh, we looked at covenant. Covenant, one of the most serious um, concepts in the Bible is a covenant, uh, serious to the point where the parties that enter into a covenant, if they break that covenant, the penalty can be death. That's how serious God is about covenants. And he entered into a covenant with Abraham, uh, the father of the uh, the nation of Israel, realizing that it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was actually the father of the 12 tribes. But Abraham was the granddad. Abraham was the one that God called out of the idol-worshiping area of Chaldea, which is approximately where Babylon was. And, of course, Babylon was the epitome, the epicenter, if you will, at the time of Abraham for idol worship. So to bring him out of that and then bring him in faith to a land where he had no idea where it was, but listened and followed God, and through all of that and listening, it was his righteousness, Abraham's righteousness was counted to him, his faith was counted as righteousness without any actions. And of course, we talked about that as we got into Genesis. We were in Genesis 15, then Genesis 17 in our prior programs to understand the mechanics and the um, the scope of this covenant that God made with Abraham. And then we went specifically in our last program to Genesis chapter 22. So if you would go there, and let's look at uh, chapter 22 again. And we developed that in our last program. And this is where Abraham has already been counted as righteous by his faith, by God, creator God. So I, I, I made the point clear in the last program, and I'd like to do it again here, that this act of Abraham taking his son Isaac on a three-day journey from Beersheba in southern Israel down in the Sinai up to Jerusalem to Mount Moriah, which later on, 2,000 years later, would be the same location where Jesus would be crucified. He took his son there because God told him to go there and sacrifice the son you love, the only son you have uh, in, in the promise, the promised son, Isaac. And he did all of that. And of course, we went through last uh, program, the parallels in the actions that Abraham and Isaac took were a parallel with God and Jesus. Both were loved by the father. Both were offered up willingly Um, The father willingly did it. The son willingly did it, knowing that they were the object of the sacrifice, that um, they carried the wood. (laughs) Isaac carried the wood for the sacrificial fire up to Mount Moriah. Jesus carried the cross up the hill as well. And then, of course, both were delivered on the third day. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, and on the third day of this journey, from the point in time that God told Abraham, take your son and crucify, or to sacrifice him, on the third day, um, 
God stayed the hand of Abraham to keep him from killing Isaac, and a substitution was provided there with the ram. So that's the background of the story there. And I wanted to specifically get to verses uh, 15 to 18 here to make a point because I want to develop this about Abraham because there's a lot of misunderstanding about Abraham and what it means to be in the lineage, the genealogical lineage of Abraham, particularly if you're a Jew, but there is some misunderstanding among us Gentiles as well. So I want to develop that, but I want to start by going through Genesis 22, 15 to 18 with you. So if you would, starting in verse 15, it says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And this is after all of this action by Abraham has been concluded, uh, and his son has been saved from death. Verse 16, And the angel said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." And as we see going forward here, obviously we're in Genesis, so we have the other 65 books here to go through as we see how the relationship between Israel, starting with Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob and the 12 tribes, how that relationship developed developed over the centuries uh, from this point in time, that it was basically a matter of obeying the voice of God. And we see obeying my voice here, and if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've talked about the voice of God several times. Um, Moses, later on here in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Pentateuch, um, after Genesis, that he basically prophesied through the leading of the Holy Spirit that Jesus would come, and which would have been, what, 1,400 years later after Moses prophesied it, that one would come from Israel, one like Moses, And the admonition in that passage in Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 15, was listen to his voice, listen to his voice. And you see here in verse 18 of Genesis 22, obey my voice. And then when Jesus came roughly 1400 years later and started his ministry, you had um, Jesus go into the Jordan River with John the Baptist to be baptized And the point of having that done, Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but he wanted to identify with mankind because he had come, God had taken on human form to accomplish all of this. And one of those was to be baptized, but the primary purpose was to stand Jesus next to John the Baptist there for everybody to see. And then the voice of God came from heaven and it said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And you have other variations in the gospel where it's obey or listen to his voice, listen to him. And then later on in Jesus' ministry, really right after the time that Israel had turned their back on him as being their promised Messiah, they didn't believe that he was the promised Messiah, 
he took those small handful of um, key apostles up to the Mount of Transfiguration and was transfigured in front of them so that the apostles could see him in his glorified form as to what he would look like when he comes back at his second coming to judge Israel, to judge the Gentile nations, and then to set up his his, um, promised millennial kingdom on the earth, as had been prophesied all through the Old Testament. But the key thing was there that God positioned him there with Moses on one side and Elijah on the other to make the point clear to those apostles so that they could then um, uh, put it in permanent writing in the scriptures, as Peter did, that it is not Moses that you're to be worshiping. It is not Elijah that you are to be worshiping. You are to be worshiping my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So there it is again. Obey my voice. That is what God wants. And as we learn all through the Old Testament scriptures, particularly Israel was led through the law to sacrifice the animals, to shed that blood so that they could see um, here, smell. The smell was terrible. The smell of blood all the time there in Jerusalem around the temple as they sacrificed these animals, that there was a substitutionary sacrifice going on for their sins, for a covering of their sins. And if they could see through that, if an individual could see through that to the real purpose of what was going on, that there was a need for a substitutionary sacrifice to cover your sins, then they could basically see the concept of the yet future Jesus Christ. So that's how a person in the Old Testament was counted as righteous. They could see through the purposes of these sacrifices. But ultimately, it was not about the sacrifice itself. It was about the heart and the heart of accepting Jesus Christ ultimately for who he was and what he did for them, that they were sinners, that they were in need of a sacrifice to cover their sins, and therefore they needed a Savior. So you can see it all the way back here in Genesis, the very beginning of our Bible. Um, Abraham was 2,000 years before Jesus walked the earth. So for us, he's 4,000 years in the past. But the Scriptures come alive for us literally today, as we're seated here with our Bible in front of us, we see the the current day reality of what was um, being put across here by God to Abraham. And he talks about his seed. And I want to talk about the seed because there are those Jews, even today, very much so in the world, and particularly those that are the, the practicing Uh, unfortunately, self-righteous Hasidic Jews and Sephardic Jews and other very Orthodox Jews that firmly believe that what this scripture means here in Genesis 22 in verses 17 and 18 is the literal genealogical bloodline seed is what saves them. They are looking forward to their paradise because of the fact that they are from the seed of Abraham. All I have to do is show that I am in the lineage of Abraham, and every Jew can do that, and therefore I'm going to paradise. Well, that's not true, and the the Bible makes that very clear as you go forward. And I want to show you that 
by going through a couple of passages, and we're going to do the first one. So we're going to leave Genesis 22, and with the understanding of this seed, and it says, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And let's go forward all the way into the New Testament, and let's go to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and let's look at verses 9, Luke chapter 19, 9 through 11. And this is Jesus as he's making his way at the end of his ministry from the Galilee coming along the Jordan River, and then he's going to do the ascent uh, up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was quite a bit above Jericho, and that's what we see at the beginning of verse 19, that he entered Jericho. So he's now coming all the way. He's in Jericho, and he meets the little guy Zacchaeus, and of course, as children in church, we learned all about the the story, which is really the account of Zacchaeus. And I want to look specifically here because we're talking about the concept of seed through Abraham, looking at verses nine, uh, ten, and eleven. So, verse nine, and Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So we have a couple of things going on here. One is we want to talk about the seed because it's talking about Abraham and salvation through Abraham. And we need to be very clear about what we mean by salvation through Abraham, because we're talking about the seed of faith, not the seed of blood, the bloodline that comes through the male in each generation. And then, of course, we have the Son of Man, which is talking about Jesus coming to an unbelieving Israel, because if they had been believing, he would refer to himself as the Son of God, as we've learned in in our first set of prophetic terms here a number of episodes ago. And then, of course, the idea that the people are expecting the literal kingdom to be set up in Jerusalem with headquarters in Jerusalem because Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. So these people see him as the promised Messiah, the promised prophet, the promised king, the promised conqueror that we've talked about in uh, prior passages here in point number three on the gospel of the kingdom. So he has come, and it says salvation, verse 9, has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. So we're going to take that and explore that a little bit, and we're going to go into Galatians as well to wrap up this point to show you that there is a specific understanding that we have to have of what is this seed, because it's only this concept of the seed that allows people to enter the kingdom, and it's a spiritual seed, not a literal seed. So we'll do that in our next program, but now we want to transition over to our Q&A time, and we are starting a new question that has been um, sent to us, and the question is... (laughs) Who is not going to be included in the rapture of the church? Who is not going to be included in the rapture of the church? Well, there are a lot of people 
that are not, unfortunately, going to be included in the rapture at the time of the rapture. And we'll want to talk about them a little bit. But I I also wanted to um, revisit scriptures to show you that there are a number of groups of people that will be resurrected, but not in the rapture. There are going to be resurrections that go forward, and we'll we'll actually look at a scripture that talks about the fact that there are a number of resurrections, and these are resurrections to glory, resurrections to um, rewards, resurrections to a an eternity with God in His presence, along with His Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. These are all saints, but they're not included in the rapture of the church. So I want to spend some time over the next several programs during the Q&A to kind of develop this because we tend to not even be aware of who these other people are. We just think of the rapture of the church and then the the lost souls who will not be included in the rapture. So let's um, let's take some time here and let's look at who goes in the rapture just to make sure we understand that. I mean, it may be an obvious point to some of you, and it may be something like, gee, I wish he'd um, develop that a little bit. So let's go ahead and do that. And the first thing we want to do is go to the book of Matthew to start answering this question. And we're going to do it from the other perspective, who is in the rapture. So let's go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. So it's the first book in the New Testament, the first of the Gospels. And Matthew chapter 16, just to give us a sense of uh, context here, is this is, uh, let's, you know, roughly two-thirds, maybe a little bit more, maybe three-quarters of the way through Jesus' earthly ministry. And he has been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. I am the king, and I am here. As a matter of fact, that's obviously part of our uh, teaching program, if you were with us in the first part, and you've been with us for the last number of programs, we've been looking at the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. Well, this is the chapter in Matthew, in Matthew's account, where the transition from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace takes place. And we will get into that in in detail in our teaching portion as well, uh, a little bit later on in a few future programs. But basically, um, he has sent his apostles out in the Matthew account would be in Matthew 10. He sent his apostles out into Israel to pronounce the gospel of the kingdom and the fact that the kingdom is near to them because the king is here. But the key thing is you need to recognize Jesus as the king. And if you don't, then he will not set up his kingdom. And that was the point. And of course, we know going forward because of we're looking at it from 2000 years later we know that they didn't uh, accept him. So he finds this out. Uh, he already knew it because he's God. But uh, for our benefit, for earthly uh, human benefit, we find out in, in uh, chapter 16 of Matthew, he sent him out in Matthew 10. He calls him back in, in Matthew 16, to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is up in the very northern, basically the northeastern tip of Israel. And this happened to be, it was a very specific reason for picking this place, because Caesarea Philippi was known for idol worship. In fact, I've had the opportunity with my family to stand there at Caesarea Philippi, right where this all took place. 
and to see the carvings out of the cliffs of the idols uh, and so forth that were all worshipped there. So Israel was an idol-worshipping nation, unfortunately. And we find that out very specifically here in Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And there is his use of the term Son of Man. If they had accepted him, he would have referred to himself as the Son of God. But since they have not, he's referring to himself the way they The Israelites refer to him. He's just the son of a man. Verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, and here's the key, who do you, talking to the 12, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So you see the distinction in the terms for son, it's son of man in 13, son of God in 16. In verse 17, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father is in, who is in heaven. And basically that's through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to go down here And see where he says in verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So here's the key distinction on this rock. And this is not referring to Peter. Peter is actually a Greek word for chip or small stone. And the word rock in that same sentence in verse 18 is a boulder, a massive piece of stone. And it's that, on that, that I will build my church. And what is that rock? It's Peter's profession, Peter's simple profession, not from his earthly mental aspect. That's why Jesus said in verse 17, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, that this was a spiritual agreement, a spiritual understanding, not only in your mind, but in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. And he said, Based on that profession, I will build my church. That's a future tense. And it basically is saying that anyone who professes, not just with their mouth, but also believes in their heart, and that's the key. You can profess, but not possess. And the key thing here is to both uh, profess and possess a belief that Jesus is the Son of the living God, And he says, that is what I'm going to build my church on, and that is who is going to go in the rapture. These are the people who will go in the rapture. And we want to uh, spend some time developing that as we go to um, 1 Corinthians. So in our next program, we're going to develop this a little bit more. And uh, if you would like to, uh, in the meantime, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and look at verses 1 through 4. This is the most concise statement of the gospel of grace that there is in the Bible, because here is where Jesus is moving from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace. And we'll develop that a little bit more in our next Q&A. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. 
Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.